Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. I hope you're having a great day. It's your host, Eric Rieger, soon to be joined by my awesome co-host, Dr. Kenneth Brown. It's episode 59, and we have an awesome guest. This is Dr. Kristen Willemeyer. She is a neuroscientist. That's right, a neuroscientist. She has groundbreaking, oh goodness, I can't talk, groundbreaking science-driven plan for revitalizing, nourishing, and rejuvenating your most essential asset, your brain. And she is the author of Biohack Your Brain, How to Boost Cognitive Health, Performance, and Power. It's uh, essentially the first book to outline a strategy for COVID long haulers, including those dealing with uh, neurological issues. So as you can see, this is going to be an incredible episode. Let's get to our sponsors. Of course, it's Autron Teal. Go to autronteal.com or Easy enough, just go to lovemytummy.com and get your daily polyphenols. Guess what? This neuroscientist, Dr. Willemeyer, yeah, she says it's a great idea to do it for your brain also. We're not even making it up. So head to lovemytummy.com, pick up your own Autron Teal today. Not just for yourself, but for your family, for your kids. Get them on it, protect them, give them the polyphenols that they need daily. Autron Teal, lovemytummy.com. And of course, you can get incredible food at unrefinedbakery.com. That's correct, unrefinedbakery.com. Get 20% off of your entire first order just by using code GUTCHECK. That's the show that you're listening to. GUTCHECK, 20% off your entire first order from Unrefined Bakery. It's incredible food. It doesn't matter if you're keto, paleo, gluten-free, and you're like, eh, man, I don't know if I can ever have an awesome tasting muffin again. Guess what? They have developed incredible food at Unrefined Bakery. I don't know why I'm giving y'all such weird pauses in between some of my words. I guess because I'm looking at my notes and they're falling down. Regardless, last but not least, go to kbmdhealth.com, kbmdhealth.com, and use code GCP to take 20% off of any order at any time from Dr. Kenneth Brown's CBD or his combo signature packages. You can take 20% off of any order at any time at kbmdhealth.com. So just so you know, as we head into episode number 59, we do an intro several minutes into a discussion with Dr. Willemeyer. We started recording and just didn't want to lose some of the exchange that we had at the very beginning. So without further ado, here's episode 59 with Dr. Kristen Willemeyer, neuroscientist. Oh my God, I had a patient last night who has ulcerative colitis that fainted and just got sent to the hospital. So she's in the hospital as we speak. Her colon is horrific. Her brain, when I'd imaged it, it is off the charts anxiety. And so she's sort of the perfect illustration of, you know, the gut brain connection. And was it her anxiety that led to, you know, the issues with the colon and the gut? Uh, I think so because she's very lean and fit and thin and healthy. But I, I said to her last night, I'm like, you need to stay in the hospital. Because she didn't, she didn't want to stay, but she fainted. And her, her colon and her, it, it, is, it is a scary 
you know, situation that she's going through. And, and then I have a patient when I found out about your supplement who he has horrible gas and bloating. I'm talking horrific. And he follows a lot of the dietary um, nutraceutical recommendations. I mean, I've, he's been a patient for my God, almost a decade, but I'm learning about your supplement. I'm like, wait, he needs to try this. So, you know, I was curious about the efficacy and yeah, yeah. I mean, I ha- here I'm like, oh, I have questions for you. Oh yeah, we'll send you, we'll send you our our research and all that stuff and you yeah, know, the, the whole backstory of that. What's really hilarious is because I'm I was going to do the same thing to you. Oh good. Because I am giving a talk to the Ataxia Society this Saturday. Oh wow. I had off the record, I had sort of forgot that I committed to it. And it happens to be the person that started this um, is a very good friend of mine. Actually, Uh she was my uh, med school roommate that um, she developed anorexia. And so her why now in life is to try and help those that have ataxia. And so that's, I I applaud her. Um, It's not a, you know, it's a small population of people but it's you know horrific for people who 100 percent. but the beauty is because of your book when you're <gasps> talking about the um total volume of the cerebellum versus yeah. having 50 percent of the neurons so the whole talk i'm i'm not if you don't mind i wanted to ask yeah. you first before i do this i would like to quote you in the book and sure. steal some stuff and put it in the talk specifically i, I would be honored for sure your supplements and your brain health diet and all that other stuff I, I would be honored. And the, the beautiful thing about the book, you know, sometimes people ask me why I wrote it. It's like, you know, there's brain health books out there. There people know about supplements. You can go on the internet, but I am, I am blown away by what I have seen using neuroimaging. So it's like the, the book was really guided by what we've seen clinically with imaging. And as you saw, when you read in the book, there was a time I didn't believe in supplements and now I'm like, Oh my God, these really work yet right there. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. So I think, you know, probably both you and I, when you're in the profession and you actually, you can look up all the research papers in the world, but when you see the changes in patients and you see it, the measurable changes, whether it's imaging or whether it's your labs that you do, um, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan. So, so yes, please go quote. I'm happy to help you. You can email me if you have any questions. Oh, after. I, I love that because I think that uh, when I read your book, I was like, holy cow, we are speaking the same language here. Yeah. And the whole gut brain thing. And you know what we should do is what? that we'll just flow into this because this yeah, is really I think good. We're, as we're yeah, already I think we're talking. giving away I think a we're lot. already kind of talking about everything. So here's we what are. we're going to do. I'm going to yeah. let Eric um, introduce you, but the podcast actually started about six minutes ago. Perfect. So if you're tuning in now, rewind it and do this. So <laughs> Eric. A very late introduction. This is. <laughs> Take it away, Eric. Episode. Thank you. <laughs> And this is episode number 59 of the Gut Check Project. And if you've tuned in now, you've heard an awesome guest. This is Dr. Kristen Willemuir. She is a neuroscientist and she created this awesome book that, uh, that, well, actually she wrote this awesome book that uh, Brown's been holding up here. 
This is biohack your brain. Yay. And uh, look how much handsomer I am with the book over my face. I, I, I love it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm you sorry. Have color co- it you, have, him, so. <laughs> you have color coordinated to the book yeah. as well, which I love. <laughs> definitely. He definitely has. Uh, basically, this is Biohack Your Brain, and it's how to boost cognitive health performance and power. The first book to outline a strategy for COVID long haulers, including those dealing with neurological issues, cognitive decline, and brain fog. For years, uh, Dr. Willem Muir has worked alongside with Dr. Daniel, is it Amen or Amen? Amen. Amen, who published over 30 books, 70 articles, just to improve. Uh, just to prove the importance of brain health. Dr. Kristen Wilmuir, thank you so much for joining us on the Gut Check Project. And uh, I mean, what an awesome, this is the, this is probably one of the most unique, coolest kickoffs of any podcast we've had yet. Amen, Eric. Amen. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, first of all, thank you to, to both of you for inviting me to come on the podcast. I love talking all things brain health and gut health. And truth be told, I am a huge fan of gut health. I think brain health begins in the gut and it begins with every single item of food that you are putting into your mouth. Now, Eric gave a lovely introduction and I I should also share with your listening audience. So my background, I was the director of research for a psychiatric clinic outpatient psychiatric clinic, um, and I ran their clinical neuroimaging department. And so I have seen thousands of brain scans. By the time I left the clinic, we had over 130,000 scans. Why I love taking care of your gut and gut health is in psychiatry, one of the foundational principles we have, whether we're addressing ADD, ADHD, autism, anxiety, depression, OCD, PTSD, bipolar issues. The first thing we have to do is work on the eating patterns. What are the things that you are putting in your mouth? Because a lot of these psychiatric issues have inflammatory components. And where does inflammation start? In the gut. Ding, 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 ding. That's right. So it's really such a pleasure to come here and speak with experts today, you know, in this field, and we can have a nice sort of melding of the minds of things that you've done, things that we've done to really help support people's long-term health. Well, I'm, I was fired up whenever uh, Ken asked if I, and we, we always talk about guests we're going to bring on and, mm-hmm. and we've been really fortunate to have some, some awesome ones, but Essentially, when he brought up your name, we began to to delve into it. The we've talked about gut brain axis for real, really since episode one. Yeah, really. and it's it's, it's just been it's our thing. Yeah, from day one. It's cornerstone. As a gastroenterologist, so all right. So let me tell you a little bit about how I found you. Oh, I love this. Okay, please. So um, my family is a tennis family, like, and okay. I mean like tennis family. Like the family is in Florida right now, playing in clay court nationals. I got both my daughter and my son doing it. And wow. we got into this huge discussion when Naomi Osaka in the French Open said that she was going to just sit out because the anxiety of doing the press conferences mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So it became a, it became a dinner table discussion with my family because right. the pressures that go on with the individual sports and this and that. And so I like, I do, I'm like, oh man, I got to like help my kids. So let's, uh, mm-hmm. how do I biohack sports performance? And a PDF of somebody that did this 
interview with the Montana State Bobcat mm-hmm. magazine. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is a great article. And I didn't read your name until the very end. You know, uh, you know the, the interview performed by Kristen Willemuir. And I was like, who is that? Look you up. And I'm like, holy cow, she's got a book called Biohack Your Brain. And it just came out. I'm like, this it's is all like, about, hey. And it's all about working with professional athletes. And so then that turned into, I actually have a very close friend, Junior, who played for the San Francisco 49ers for 12 years and was the the NFL's player representative for CTE for a few years. And he still works with Steve Young and he had his, uh, uh, he had his uh, Zoom 50th birthday party not too long ago and the whole, there was like 40 people on there and it was just Hall of Famers all over. Mm -hmm. So I called Junior and I was like, dude, you should have done this whole Eamon Clement thing. And, oh yeah, you know, I'm like, man. Yeah. It's I'm still taking care of football players from I started back in 2009, you know, where we did our you know, work with the first hundred players. But my God, we've had hundreds of players come in and I've watched them over the course of time. Some of them are getting better. But unfortunately, if you play collision based sport and you don't really proactively take care of your brain health, you know, some of them now have ALS, Alzheimer's disease at younger ages than we see in the general population. So we start to expect to see these diseases of aging in your sixth decade of life, seventh decade of life. But in the professional athletes, we're seeing them in their fifth decade of life. And the reason why it's not surprising, and this sort of goes into my background as a neurobiologist, so sort of the first 10 years of my career, I'm in the academic setting and I'm a neurobiologist studying things at the level of the single cell and working in Parkinson's and understanding how neurons communicate with one another and also having a great concept of synaptic plasticity, right? We read about it in the literature, but I've actually watched my beautiful neurons make contacts with their neighbors. It's it's really extraordinary when you have the the perspective of what synaptic plasticity is and, and the ability of these beautiful neurons. One single neuron in our central nervous system can make between 10,000 to 40,000 connections. So and that's of the, of the 86 billion neurons we have. Mm-hmm. Look, I just want to clarify one thing. So like when you, we hear about this, like in, there's been a lot of discussion about neuroplasticity. Andrew mm-hmm. Huberman has his podcast and people are talking about it. Could you just define that? Yeah, neuroplasticity is just the ability of a neuron to make additional connections with its neighbor. So as I was saying, one neuron can extend a branch out, a dendritic branch out and connect with other neurons. And the way that we sort of increase our brain capacity over time is to be able to make as many of those connections as we can. This is why as we get older, this concept of synaptic plasticity or neuroplasticity is just the ability of, again, a single neuron to continue making branches. And how does that happen? That happens when we learn new information. That's why it's so important to continue to learn as we age, because that's how we grow these connections. Other ways to grow new connections is through exercise, but I like the new learning piece because the one thing that people don't realize, and I know I tell a lot of these fun little, I call them fun facts, but they're really important um, because the brain reaches full maturity around the age of 25, 30. After the age of 40, our brain volume, right, starts to decrease about 5% per decade. So 
your brain volume can get smaller and you know that's one thing that could concern people but it the synaptic plasticity can continue on throughout life so that's why you know there's certain interventions we can do to help maintain brain volume which is where the exercise is important omega-3 fatty acids are really important and then there's things we can do to help maintain synaptic plasticity so that we retain our memories you know and we have the ability to live and be centenarians and still be happy. Like Betty White, who I love bringing up because the woman is 99 years old. Actually, she um, she comes and visits people in the building that I live in here in oh, wow. Los Angeles, and she's beautiful, right? So I see her often. Um, she just turned 99, and she thanked her agent because her agent continues to give her scripts and continues to get her jobs. So this is a woman who is still memorizing scripts at age 99. So that's somebody who's able to retain her memory. So when people who are in their 60s are like, oh, I forget where I put things, she's actually working her memory consistently because it's a part of her job. So this is something that all of us just need to remember to do. Maybe we should all start memorizing scripts, memorizing oh, our grocery list or memorize. I thought you wanted to be, I thought you, you wanted us to become an actress. I didn't know. <laughs> or two actors. No, no. no, we've already been told that we have faces for radio. So oh, that's right. <laughs> <not do> that. <laughs> the, oh um, my gosh. It's, so uh, I, I heard. Um, I digressed. <laughs> no, I love what you're saying there because the new synapses, one of the coolest, um, Michael Pollan, and you quoted him in, in mm -hmm. book. Uh, the uh, I don't remember all the books he's done, but he did do the series on, he just came out with a new book about um, some, anyways, how plants interact with our synapses and stuff. He quote, he said something that kind of made sense what you're talking about. He goes, it's been described that if you imagine a, a, a hill that got, that had snow on and everybody starts to sled on it. If you, mm -hmm. if you go down it enough times, eventually it makes a groove. And then you stay in that groove and until mm -hmm. you, by doing certain things, you need to lay some new snow down so that you can find a new path. And that's kind of what you're describing. That's what new learning is. It's creating new paths. And then we're, I apologize if you're hearing the lovely fire. <laughs> can you hear the fire trucks out there? Yeah, you know what? <laughs> I kind of like it. Listen, it's if, LA. If they come bursting in your door, we're gonna we're gonna raise the bond money for you. You, okay. you might actually hear the sons of anarchy out there as well. Sometimes we get the motorcycle gangs. Texas um, is a little different right now. We didn't quite have the effect mm, in LA and New York that that they yeah. <laughs> but no, he's absolutely correct. It's. You know, in neuroscience, we have this phrase, neurons that uh, fire together, wire together, and it's the circuits mm. that get repeated. The things that we do every day, the thoughts that we think, um, the, the, the information that we take in, whether we're reading or learning something new, it's all, our brain is a dynamic organ that is continuing to grow and change every single second with every input that we get light, sound, what we read, right? What comes in through our visual centers, everything. So part of why I wrote this book is to make us more consciously aware of the things that are in our environment that are impacting our health and our well-being and our brain health. Um, and because most people want to figure out how to retain their memories as they age, 
that was another reason for the book. But really the, the <laughs> biggest reason you, you noted it um, is working with the athletes who are really struggling with brain issues at very early ages. And the fact that we saw we could restore brain function through very simple dietary and lifestyle modifications that anybody listening to this podcast could do. I mean, there's, you know, we've got all the bells and whistles in the clinical setting, the neurofeedback, the transcranial magnetic stimulation, the hyperbaric oxygen therapies, you've got the IV therapies, but even doing all of those, everybody still has to do the lifestyle piece. And that's as important as all of these other technologies that we have that for some people could be cost prohibitive, which is why I, you know, I put those things more towards the back of the book, but we can still talk about them because a hyperbaric oxygen chamber can actually revascularize the brain. So you can grow new, um, new vasculature. And if you think about participating in a collision-based sport like football, now I was an equestrian, so I spent 10 years showing horses, falling off of horses. So when I speak about working with athletes, they're very much, uh, I'm very connected with them because I've had my fair share of head impacts. The difference being in football, you know, they put accelerometers inside the helmets and have studied how many impacts football players are taking in high school and college. So on average, do you want to take a guess? This is kind of fun since I have you two. How many, so, how many, how many the average, so guess the average number of impacts a high school football player is having per season. Oh, I would imagine it's gotta be a few thousand. I don't know though. It's actually lower. So it's okay. around 650. So per season. And then college is about 1,300. So then if you're talking about a football player who's played four years of high school, four years of college, you're getting about 8,000 impacts. But then you've got the the, G-force, the linear- Yeah, I was just going to say, so so the impact is now you've got bigger, stronger people. So the Mm -hmm. impact is much greater at the college level. At the college level, exactly. So the average G-force in high school was around 28 Gs per impact. So you can say anywhere between 10, uh, an impact can be as low as whatever, no 10 Gs, as high as 150 Gs. So their lower impact in high school, in college, they were averaging around 68 Gs. Wow. Um, yeah. I got a quick question on that. I, I think that long ago I heard that uh, not only is obviously the the increase in the impact obviously could be more damaging, but the sheer repetitive nature of it itself is is quite damaging. Even if it happens to just be over and over again, it's kind of like kind of like water torture. You know, you hit just, the nail on the head. So that's the biggest issue. It's the repetitive subconcussive impacts that are damaging sure. the individual cells. So you get the shearing and the tearing of the axons and the the cells, and they now need the time to, um, you know, restore back to, you know, sort of try to get back to normal function. And of course, if you're playing a game where football players are hitting, you know, every play of the game, the linemen might have three or four impacts per play. Uh, There was a paper that came out that actually not only measured the number of impacts, but measured the linear 
and rotational forces. Mm -hmm. And it was, I think, across both high school and college, the average linear acceleration in G-forces was 188,000 G-forces to the very delicate neurons in your brain. The rotational acceleration was over 3 million like radians per second squared. So, you know, somebody can go through a whole high school and collegiate career and maybe not have a diagnosed concussion Mm -hmm. because the concussion is just a temporary alteration in mental status after an impact to the head or chest um, with or without the loss of consciousness. So, you know, 10% of the people might have, you know, a loss of consciousness or amnesia, but they recover quite quickly. But it's all those repetitive subconcussive impacts that you're talking about, Eric, that are causing the damage at the level of the neurons that are then causing the tauopathy. That's what the chronic traumatic encephalopathy is. It's just a, a tauopathy, right? An accumulation of this misfolded, abnormally folded tau protein, phosphorylated tau protein. They, they're starting to see it first, stage one CTEs in the frontal lobes. And that shouldn't be surprising because football players hit with the front part of their head, right? The, the, that's why they're, they see it first in the frontal lobes, then stage two um, gets into the temporal lobes uh, and some parietal lobes. Stage three gets into the deeper cortical structures like the amygdala, hippocampus, entorhinal cortex. And then stage four is now getting into the brainstem. Well, and hopefully if things you think- have changed since then, but I mean, I can remember playing and you didn't <gasps> want to complain unless... Mm-hmm. You know, unless you were injured, you know, are you injured or are you hurt? And that was kind of the, the, the thought process, you know, almost 30 years ago was to make certain that you don't complain unless you actually could show an injury. But nobody was really doing anything about brain injury at that, at that point in time. And I know that it's improved somewhat, but unless someone's just it? falling down and throwing up or they, they feel like they're taking <laughs> spots, nobody ever stopped. And you probably himself. went back in the game after you threw up because I've watched you guys watch men play sports, rugby. It's like, okay, I'm ready to go back in. Plus you have the adrenaline. Sure. I mean, I, so I was a competitive show jumper. I had several horses. One of my horses was a thoroughbred off the racetrack. And I, the fences I would jump were four foot three, four foot nine. And I would race at them. I mean, I was a crazy sort of, (laughs) I I was a maverick. I I loved it. So I, and I've fallen off hundreds of times. Um, The difference is, you know, the difference is with football, that's a game where the impacts are coming. You know, you've got repetitive impacts on every play. Well, you may not, you may only play 12 or 14 or 16 games a season. It's also the practice games. So if you- if you start to read the papers and say sometimes there's 95 practice games and then 12 games in your season, so that's actually a lot of impacts that are happening. Now, you know, I don't, I don't know what is going to happen with football, and there are certainly people who, you know, have an extended career. I mean, we've worked with players. One of the players that was in our study played 12. So he went to UCLA defensive lineman, same as Fred McNeil. Mm -hmm. Um, He played for the Minnesota Vikings was a first round draft pick. I believe pick number 17 Um, played 12 seasons on the Vikings played in a Super Bowl. They never won. When he left the NFL, he went to law school. Um, I can't remember where he went. He went to law school, graduated valedictorian of his class 
then became a partner in his law firm. So here's somebody who, right, high school, I think he had a 22-year lifetime sort of risk of, uh, from playing football. So 22 sure. years in the game, but still was able to go to law school afterwards. It was clearly really smart. Um, at the age of 57 is when he came in to our study, and he just came in to see what his brain looked like. And when we did the brain imaging, the scan showed frontotemporal dementia. So we saw low blood flow in the frontal lobes and the temporal lobes. He did not know he had that, but he knew he was struggling with depression. He was having memory Mm. issues, but he was still working. So then we sent him to the neurologist, worked with him for seven years. He ended up getting diagnosed with ALS and passing away at the age of 63. So the reason why I share his story is he's the illustration of somebody can play football and then have a 20-year, 25-year period where they're just living their life. And then all of a sudden you have the degenerative disease hit quickly. Um, And we know, you know, in the world of neurology and neuroscience and neuroimaging, we know degenerative changes happen in the brain 15, 20 years at the cellular level before you have a symptom. So that's what's happening with the players. It's just happening earlier, which is why I think anybody who plays a collision-based sport should be on a brain health protocol. And and that's just about being really mindful about the foods you eat. You know, I really wouldn't recommend drinking a lot of alcohol. It's not great for the brain. I mean, there there's a lot of very intuitive things, and I talk about that in the book. But you have to be serious about it if you don't want to spend your sixth, seventh, or eighth decade of life um, dealing with these issues. And because I was in a psychiatric clinic, we also worked with the underlying psychiatric problems, right? They have a greater risk of depression and anxiety. So getting those things treated is really helpful in sort of having a better quality of life. So I just want to say this. Uh Um, After reading the book... So, yeah. because I want to eat your brain right now, because what, <laughs> what you're talking about is so cool. Mm-hmm. But in your book, you do a stepwise process to prevent this from happening. So anybody that's listening, yeah. even if you're not into the science that we're going to get into, because it's, it's, it's beautiful. I think that the, that when a, a neuroscientist like yourself comes from a background of research and yeah. you, you, you're wise to protect the brain. And my why, actually, and we've talked about this, is if I had one goal that I can do in my lifetime would be to prevent dementia. And the reason is, is that I believe that memories have no price. I would prefer to buy a memory than buy a thing. And I, mm-hmm. I try yes. to teach my kids this. That, yes. And so as we live our life, if those memories get stolen from you in my mind, that is, that is a life wasted in your own mind, although it isn't for the others around you, but in your own mind. So if I could do one thing, and what we are seeing in my world as a gastroenterologist is that when we see Alzheimer's dementia and Parkinson's, Mm -hmm. they present with gut issues 20 years before. So you see the 20 year language. You see the 20 year. No, you saw, and I I wrote about this in my book, my father ended up having Parkinson's. I did. And you will appreciate this and I didn't really go into it in the book, but you know, he, so he's a combat helicopter pilot in Vietnam, two tours, but exposed to Agent Orange. And then was a pilot for Pan American. So of course there's all of the exhaust and things that you're exposed to and was a fireman. 
um, but my dad's 6'4", healthy, lean, fit, no issues, no Parkinson's in our family, no psychiatric issues in our family. So I found it interesting about the age of 50 is when the tremor started coming on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was diagnosed later in his 70s and then passed away at 78. But, and he ate very healthy. My dad was one of those people who was juicing and clean eating. I feel um, the glyphosate, whatever, the, the Roundup, whatever's in the um, uh, Agent Orange, I feel my dad's issues really stem from that. And that all uh, eradicates the healthy bacteria in your gut. And so I really, for him, I feel environmental exposure was you know, predominant in his Parkinsonian issues. And you know, I'm, I'm really about how do we help people live their healthiest life. And in the book I, I go into when it comes to food, I really talk about the Mediterranean diet with a plant-based sort of, they call it plant predominant. You know, it's, I still would allow for people to have meat, but really when I was working with the players, so I talk about running a brain directed weight loss group for football players, which is really quite comical (laughs) because when, when Dr. Raymond said I was doing that, I thought he was crazy. I'm like, these guys are elite athletes. They already know how to work out and be lean, but they actually weren't lean. Um, when we were working with them, some of them were because they were active players and some of them were older. So I had to get them slim. Um, so it would help their brain health because we know excess inflammation in the body damages the brain. And we published research on that, but where does the inflammation come from? It comes from the food and it comes in the gut. And this is such a great teaching moment. And I'm, I'm here cause I would love to learn from you. I mean, the meat, what can I just ask you? What is your stance on meat? My and stance? Gut health? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, I've tried to be open-minded about everything. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like all things. So um, uh-huh. when Game Changers came out on Netflix, yeah, like that's it. I'm all plant-based. I'm going to be an elite athlete. And I did the stupid thing, which was I tried to do meat substitutes and stuff like that, which I didn't. Impossible Burger? Yeah, I didn't even, well, not that, but w- whatever it was. I mean, and so then I realized that in there, so I'm a big, uh, I'm gluten intolerant. And so mm-hmm. I should have, didn't realize that they use gluten as fillers and all this other stuff. So that was, I, Eric will laugh at this, pretty much everything I do, I will just dive into in an obscene level. It's no pretty much. There's no pretty much. That's just the male brain. I, I, I applaud that. I go all the way in and they come out with these scars and be like, don't do that. We're like, don't do it that way. But there's other ways to do it. So, um. I, I actually believe uh, the way that I try to eat is mm-hmm. mostly um, I'm okay with meat. I try to do grass-fed, mm-hmm. grass-finished beef. I'm uh-huh. from Nebraska originally, so it would my, my, my dad would roll over in his grave. He was actually a butcher, so it would be difficult to actually deny. Your dad was a butcher? Okay, I find – okay, this is really fascinating. Your dad was a butcher and you're a gastroenterologist, and – you read books like the China study, which talk about the inflammatory nature of meat and how it can release the bacterial endotoxins in your gut and that can be inflammatory. So do you recommend that people keep meat down to one meal per day? 
um, limited to once per week. So this is a great jumping off point and getting mm -hmm. the spotlight off me real quick, because one of the <laughs> things I loved in your book was mm -hmm. chapter one was pretty much, or maybe it was chapter two, where you're like, if I can ask you to do one thing, it's quit yeah. eating processed food. Yep. Yeah. So yes. I'm the same way. So when you say, what do you tell your patients? I, mm -hmm. I struggle with, let's avoid high fructose corn syrup, yep. polyunsaturated fatty acids. Let's get rid of those emulsifiers. Everything right. that you talked in your book. Yeah. That's hard enough to do. That's hard it, enough it to is. get people doing that. So it, it is. once you get into the, it's like um, a comedian was joking about it. He's like, yeah, my... My trainer neighbor was saying, maybe you're eating too much fruit as I was eating a donut. I'm like, I don't think the fruit's the problem. Because <laughs> you know? you're right. Give that, so much advice, right. The you know? poor fruit gets thrown out. And I'm like, no, you need the fruit. My God, we need the antioxidants. As you know, in your supplement, which is polyphenols, right? We need our brain needs antioxidants. We need them from the diet. I feel it's the number one way to help preserve your long-term brain health because the there's such a delicate balance between free radical production in the brain and antioxidant capacity. And free radicals are produced just by, you know, metabolism. Yep. So we need to make sure our diet, in our diet every single day, we're getting antioxidants. And I sort of made, when I taught the Mediterranean diet to the football players and the patients in our psychiatric setting, it was very prescriptive. And I, I outlined the prescriptive nature of it in the book. I, I should have gone into it in more detail because people really seem to like it, but I make it like a pilot's checklist with people. And I just say, hey, here's the things that I want you to get into your diet every day we can modify, you know, if you're loving meat, you know, while meat can be inflammatory in people, um, I'm going to find a really creative way because I, I want them to stick with it for a lifetime. So I have a really sort of fun way of doing upgrades, but making it work for them. But the, I really had a checklist for people. It was like, you know, three green leafy vegetables per day, check, you know, one orange, red or yellow that, vegetable. That was that was your adaption to the. It's aspect? the Mediter It's the Mediterranean diet. But but this is but this is your adaption when in the part of the book where you said this is my brain health diet and it, yeah you're saying that it's the Mediterranean with a checklist. Is your well, idea. I I I gave it sort of in a prescriptive way yeah. so people knew you know because like you said everybody's unique and they have the things that they love. And if you make it too difficult, they're just not going to do anything. And so sometimes the initial barter was, you know, if I was trying to limit somebody drinking too much coffee um, and I, I talk about coffee in the book because coffee is a vasoconstrictor and in the brain imaging world, we don't want to <laughs> cause too much vasoconstriction. So I would make a barter. I'd say for every cup of coffee, I'd love for you to do a fresh green juice and I would actually make it or I have, you know, sometimes I come in the clinic if I'm teaching it to a group of patients and be like, here, here's what it tastes like. You got to make it fun and accessible. So that's what I would do with following the diet. The, the point being, I need to get more clean, healthy nutrients in and let's try to get some of those processed foods and sugars and the things that you're very sort of used to eating out and well, I was just going to say that what's interesting when you say used to eating as yes. a neuroscientist, we know that if you look at the food industry, they hire very intelligent scientists 
to make junk food work on your brain. Can I've you, met with food you, chemists. Oh, I, awesome. I've met can them. You, oh, yeah. yeah. Can you expand on that? Well, I just, when we were designing supplements, sometimes you, you know, you meet with people who are hired for that specific reason. And what do people love? Fat, sugar, salt. You know, it's very easy to put all of those things into, you know, a packaged food that's going to sit on the shelf for however, you know, however long to be on the shelf. One of the most important things I would teach people, if anything, sometimes you just got to get down to the basics, right? Because if I can help somebody change one bad habit, um, we're already going to make progress. You know, sometimes my, the one habit that I would have everybody do is change how much the, the amount of fluids they were consuming in water. That's why I actually dedicate one chapter to water. It is so important. And I'm, I, I have my glass right here. You know, I've, <laughs> no cheers, everyone. It's, you know, before food, sometimes I think the hydration piece is the piece that always gets lost. And when I made people chart their, how much water they were drinking, this was so fun. As a scientist, I'm, I chart everything because I can't help somebody change something if I don't know what you're doing. And you might say, oh yeah, I drink enough water. And I'm like, oh, I bet you don't. So let's, let's track how much water you're drinking and make sure you're drinking the right amount. And I would, we, in my groups that I taught, I would say, let's not drink our calories. So let's get rid of all the juices, the sodas. Let's just do water. And it's amazing how people who love soda, if that was the only thing they got rid of in one year, they could easily lose 20 pounds. So for me, from a brain health perspective, if I'm getting you to just drink clean water every day, even if it's from your tap with a filter, fantastic. Let's get it out of a plastic bottle because the BPA um, you know, from the plastics are not going to be great for your gut health, number one, let alone your brain health. So let's try to have it in a glass. And you know, I talk about, I now get water, bottled water, you know, that's actually hyper oxygenated and slightly alkaline. I mean, you know, I, you, I can't help myself being in this field. You sometimes know too much that so you're going to go for the best, but I clean up the water. I try to get um, more of the green juicing in because we know how important vegetables are. And if somebody just does not want to have a vegetable, a lot of times I can get them to do a, a fresh green juice that has lots of great enzymes. Um, you know, and we can get a fruit in there. So I was really working on how do I unwind some of the really destructive habits that people just do repeatedly, you know, multiple times a day over the course of weeks, months, years that are not really serving you. And that was, I think that was the fun part of teaching those groups. It's like, oh my God, I, wow. And not only do I change their habits, then they're dropping weight like crazy. That's why I put a bunch of, of stories in there about people that had lost over a hundred pounds with me, not that's not even my area of expertise, and it was just happening because I no, it is your area. I mean, your area is to change habits, but, which is changing brain. That's all. Awesome. My my area of expertise is brains and brain imaging. But I, you know, it was this really fascinating uh, experience of watching people change their diet and very quickly lose weight, and seeing people who are in their fifties and sixties who didn't even think they could lose ten pounds lose 60 pounds in a year. I'm like, wow, I just shifted a few <laughs> things in your diet. You just, you, I, I'm a cheerleader probably like you. So I get really excited for people's success. So I'm sure there was a, a synergy 
between myself and the players and the patients I work with and the, you know, let's help you clean up the foods you're eating. And you know why they're important? Especially because everybody that I work with, you know, it's a psychiatric clinic. Um, we're also working to improve their mood. Sure. And the only way we can do that is by cleaning up those foods, right? Bringing the saturated fats down, trying to bring down the saturated animal fats, um, bringing in more of the mono and polyunsaturated, right? Healthy um, fats from plants and marine-based, you know, omega-3s. And just, it's about fruits, vegetables, legumes, nuts and seeds, whole foods. It's not hard. I got a quick question for you. You've, yeah. you've mentioned the green juice. Yes. And the you've mentioned also a few times that there may be technologies that may not have access because of cost. And for some people, even just right. time. Right. So you've mentioned green juice a couple of times. What, what's an ideal green juice for someone to make at home? I, I love that. You know why I mentioned green juice so much? I started doing it 20 years ago. So I'm nice. 48. 48 now. Every single day, I've done some kind of green juice. Now I throw beets in it as well because I think it's an easy way to get a red, you know, something red in there. Um, but I tell people, just think green. You know, the base is typically celery or cucumber. Mm -hmm. um, and then you add kale, parsley, spinach. I'll throw in, I love pears. So I put in a Bosque pear. Sometimes I put an apple in. Sometimes I put a red beet in. The reason why I mention it, it not only is it hydrating, so I drink usually 32 ounces of a juice. So this morning, I, I start my day with two eight-ounce glasses of water. The first is a water, just clean water. The second, I usually put a little lemon in. Um, then I do my juice, which is 32 ounces. So I'm, you know, the hydration is really how I like to start my day. And I feel that the juicing over time, and I'm asking you, the gastroenterologist, and I've read about this, I'm actually priming my gut with these very healthy, nourishing, enzyme-rich fluids because the, the polyphenols and the vitamins and the nutrients that are in the greens are critical for your gut health. And every single food you eat, correct, is helping to populate either good or bad bacteria, Dr. Yeah, Brown. Yes and no, but after reading your book, when I told my patients to do this and they said, what do you mean by green? I'm like, I don't know if it's green, just do it. And so then they came back and they're like, I'm doing green M&Ms, I'm doing green Skittles with this. Oh, like, the Skittles. Yeah, so uh, maybe I should have looked more into what you meant by the greens. Thank you for asking that question, Eric. No, I just okay. wanted to set you straight because I knew this was a problem. <laughs> My patients were gaining weight and they're just like, I'm like, so what are you doing now? They're like, I do one sprig of spinach, one sprig of kale one and a sprig. bag of green M&Ms. Yeah, I was doing, uh, did a uh, green juice out of a sour patch and I got diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming after you, Dr. Brown. Yeah. So, I, you know what? I had fun having the football players do it. They all, the coolest thing about working with pro athletes is they will do anything you tell them. And but, but because they trust me. So I'm like, come on guys, here's what we're going to do, right? To get them to lose weight. I had to, the, the volume of food that they were eating each day was around 4,500 calories. So Oof. first of all, we're, you know, we're not at training table anymore. So we need to really, you know, bring that down. And, and I did sort of the creative thing where you know, if you can keep your meals from 500 calories, you know, if you can, you can have a burrito that's 2000 calories, that's, that's a whole 
day's worth of calories in one meal. So I would creatively say, hey, whatever you're eating at noon, let's cut it in half and <laughs> have your first part at noon. I say, you can have your second part at 1.30 if you're still hungry. And I did that at dinner. I said, dinner, you can have your dinner, whatever, at seven. And then at 8.15, if you're still hungry, you can have the other half. So you have to get, I would just had so much fun being creative with, and, and all my players were losing weight. So players were losing weight. And my mentor was like, you're teaching this in our psychiatric clinic. I'm like, I am? Okay. And it just kept going. It was this really beautiful, just watching people change their foods, their bodies changed. I, I knew their brain health would change for the better. And then we used the nutraceuticals for the, for the pro athletes really to help support blood flow to the brain, boost certain neurotransmitters, right? That are really important in memory because- mm -hmm. Most people don't realize after the age of 40 is when our neurotransmitters systems, we don't tend to make as many. And that's how we start getting diseases like Parkinson's. That's the dopamine, you know, system is not functioning as optimally as it could. And, you know, Alzheimer's, you know, we're talking about acetylcholine. So, you know, I mentioned in my book, you know, everyone over the age of 40 would probably be smart to take a whole food multivitamin. Mm -hmm. Um just for your brain health. So there was a nutraceutical component here uh, that was, again, very helpful for the players, but the goal being to really help improve perfusion to the brain and, you know, help to, you know, omega-3 fatty acids, for example, are really important in building the cells, the, the neurons in your brain. And for that synaptic plasticity, you need to have the building blocks, which are in the omega-3 fatty acids. Yeah, and in your book, you do a fantastic job of describing these are your basics. This is the the first line, starting lineup, starting lineup. Yeah, I kind of made it a fun yeah. sport analogy, so, like starting lineup where you know here are six basic nutraceuticals. Pretty much everybody can take them. Um, you know, I always tell people run this by your doctor. I mean, I was the director of nutrition and nutraceuticals, so. Not only was I responsible for helping to create and study the efficacy of these products using brain imaging, but I worked with our psychiatric population who was trying to get off of medications and using nutraceuticals as a way to support their, you know, manage anxiety, depression, ADD. So this is why I really became a fan of them because I saw how effective they could be. And if we could do a nutraceutical approach versus a medicine that has more side effects, mm -hmm. a nutraceutical approach is sort of a wiser way to go. But then you started to see, okay, here's your starting lineup, the basics everybody could do. I did um, what I call all-star team. <laughs> so if you want to take your nutraceuticals to the next level, here's you know five other things that I think are really important. And then what I did what I called injured reserve, which is these are the nutraceuticals we use for patients with brain imaging, or I'm sorry, with uh, brain injuries, or say you had chemotherapy and you have chemo brain, um, you know, or we're working on, you've had a toxic exposure, too much alcohol. These are the things that can help to restore blood flow to the brain. What I loved about it is that you addressed 
initially that you understood that people may not have the resources to get these right to get these supplements and then in addition to that at each end of the paragraph this is what you need to look for in the supplement which was awesome also oh, I'm was, glad you if you're going to do this yeah look for gmp look for this you if you're going to get a fish oil look for the symbol for non-mercury and this and that that was beautiful so that people can do their homework and not just walk into target and go, oh, this is what I'm going to grab or Walmart or whatever. And I'm not right. them, but I'm just it's, saying, you know. Thank you for that. It's, you know, it's really hard. You walk into a Whole Foods and you have just sort of these shelves that are lined with nutraceuticals and you just don't know what do I take? What don't I take? Then you ask the person there who's working there, hey, which one's good? Um, I, because I've seen how these things work in our patients and know the levels, you know, it's very nuanced. And, you know, prior to being in the brain imaging space, I, you know, I wasn't really using nutraceuticals. So I have a very, uh, I really appreciate how they work in the brain and a consistent use of certain nutraceuticals over time can really support brain health. And I think more people, even those who are on the fence, um, I've watched some doctors who work more in the sort of traditional medic, Western medical world who I, I know a lot of them still aren't on the nutraceutical bandwagon, but I've seen the older doctors who are in their 70s or 80s, pretty much everybody starts taking a nutraceutical at some point for their joints. I mean, it, omega-3 fatty acids in our uh, NFL population, when we started just giving them, they had a minimum of two grams of fish oil per day they started to have less joint pain because omega-3s are anti-inflammatory. They're like, wow, I didn't even know that could help my joints. So it's some of these little things that I think are really uh, very valuable. Absolutely. There's one thing that I do want, because I need your help on this. Um, yes. After reading your book. So I'm a, I, I'm a morning habit person and I'm an evening habit person. Yes. And it excellent. drives my OCD wife nuts that I will do the same thing, which, well. Really? Because, I would well, think she'd like that as a person of ritual. She likes <laughs> the ritual. It's how, mm -hmm. I, how I end the ritual that bothers her. So for instance, um, I have tea every night. I have chamomile tea. But I nice. have a ginormous Amazon mug. And I will make it and I will sit and after a long day and we'll try and watch some TV and inevitably I'll start dozing off and she'll You're falling asleep. just go to bed and I will drink about this <laughs> much of the tea. And then she gets mad at me because she's like, you waste all this tea. After reading your book, I'm like, no, 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 no. Dr. Willemuir said after a night of sleeping, you have not had anything to drink. That's when I'm going to get up. That's why I make it so I can wake up and then I chug my tea in the morning. So that's where I start my hydration process. You do? I do. So you do the chamomile tea in the morning as well? <laughs> I do that. Not for any health it. reason, but just because I don't want to be yelled at by my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I, I love, I love her. her that eventually I will drink that tea. <laughs> I love how she's like, okay, we're going to make sure all of this tea gets drunk. Do not fall asleep and not finish that tea. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and I, I love it that it works very well for you as a sleep aid. Well, I think working really hard throughout the day works Probably helps. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm so, coming from psychiatry, like more than 50% of people need help with sleep. It's just such a common thing. I'm always like, oh, it really works well for you. You're just exhausted. <laughs> 
but the chamomile tea is probably helping to protect yeah, being your a neuroscientist and writing books and everything you could you 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 just fall asleep yeah <laughs> can i tell you something in our household my husband is the real sensitive sleeper he super like wakes up he can wake up with me breathing like i could breathe too loud and he's like ah and i fall asleep <laughs> anywhere and everywhere it's like a full shutdown <laughs> so. hey you know what i think is going on with your husband that maybe you could comment that is okay. in your book uh -huh. i believe he has a large amygdala Oh, yes, he probably does. <laughs> yes, that I amygdala. I love your chapter on that and the whole amygdala thing because amygdala I have joked with Eric. We watched Free Solo with um, Alex Honnold. Honnold. Uh, uh, Honnold. Free Tell me so more. Oh, have you seen Free Solo? No. Oh, 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 my gosh. This is Oh, my awesome gosh. Because, oh, my gosh. Okay. Because... So basically, it's a movie about a guy who climbed El Capitan with no gear at all, totally free solo. He the does first, it all the time. First person to ever do it, and he just completely, but what was amazing is that he fell one time, and it was a documentary, so his friend was filming oh him. Oh, my and they God. Did an, you're going to love this. They did an MRI on him, and they found that he has a little tiny amygdala. No fear. No fear. He's and probably, impu probably fear. impulsive, like there's that. The, in our frontal lobes, you know, I think having a lower frontal lobe function might make you more impulsive and more of a risk taker. We see that with firefighters and police officers. I mean, what what sane human being wants to run into a burning building like my father or, you know, be a chopper pilot in Vietnam and, you know, yeah, I'm just going to go down and, you know, drop some people off, pick some people up or, or a police officer or a free climber who has no gear and feels perfectly comfortable in that position somebody who well feels very you know what that's somebody who does not fear death 100 percent. now that is somebody that. who uh-huh so he's a complete unique individual but in uh -huh. your book you described yeah. how cortisol affects the amygdala can you get into that a little bit well, and how cortisol affects our brain in general. Mm -hmm. My God, too much cortisol. Uh, so we have glucocorticoid receptors, a lot of them on our hippocampus, the area of the brain that is critical to learning and memory. So when we have chronic, unrelenting release of cortisol, like probably like most of us have done during the global pandemic, um, you know, our, our uh, hippocampus can shrink and we were talking about neuroplasticity and synaptic plasticity that that absolutely stops so you have lower amounts of what we call bdnf or brain derived neurotropic factor which is what we need to help grow new neurons and oh make those, that's another question we're going to talk about that next just so i don't yeah, forget to grow new, new neurons neurons because that was new to me i was taught in med school we can't do that okay sorry of course you were taught in med school that yeah. there's no but now we know the hippocampus you can grow new neurons that's awesome up until you're 90. and i'll tell you we need them in the hippocampus by that time because you know i've seen a lot of uh um, you know, we do volumetric MRI, hippocampal MRIs on people who are older with dementia and you see that, they, you know, they shrink to the 14th percentile or fifth percentile. And then you wonder, you know, 100% is where we want it. And, you know, as we age, that structure shrinks. And, you know, so I know I'm getting off topic. I'm talking about the hippocampus. It's really important because if we, if we don't maintain the hippocampal volume, 
we aren't going to be take, able to take all of the things that we learn during the day that are in our short-term memory, all the new things. When we sleep, we take that information and we consolidate it into our long-term memory, but it has to go through the hippocampus. And so it's really essential that that region of the brain, we want to um, continue to work it and continue to do the things to help those neurons grow. And that's exercise and new learning. Those are like the two um, amazing ways to do it. But back to our friend who's the free climber. <laughs> so you were talking about stress and he clearly has. Well, yeah. I, was, I always joked with Eric that I feel like when we watched him do this and I'm just mm -hmm. like, he's got no, I feel like my amygdala is like, push, it's like so large that <laughs> yeah. it's pushing my cerebral load. Because emotionally, oh, you're, it's <laughs> right that amygdala gets activated during emotionally charged events. And that's what, what makes it grow. So the amazing thing are the people who are able to find their center or to be calm and to keep, you know, cortisol levels down. And my, my, I will tell you, my father who was the, the combat helicopter pilot. He used to tell me, <laughs> When he was younger, he never feared dying in Vietnam. The only thing he feared was that if he died, his parents would have lost their only son. He loved it. He absolutely loved being a pilot. Loved it. He's like, I wouldn't, even all the death that he saw and getting shot at. At his funeral, I actually said, my dad took the, you know, they give you the vest that you wear, the bulletproof vest. He, he folded it and sat on it because all the firing was coming up underneath the chopper. Wow. But here's, oh, I, I wish my dad was left because he's so lovely. Just had, just the beautiful spirit, kind heart. And he taught me about not being afraid. He just, we can decide how we want to view things in life. I think the gentleman who's the free climber was probably not afraid of death. If he fell, he, he would fall doing something he loved. So I, I just think he, in his mind, his perspective on things was such that, hey, I'm going to go out and have fun. I love doing this, right? It gets my adrenaline going. It makes me happy. It's my joy. It's my passion. And so, you know, he had no fear and he trusted himself. He'd done enough climbs with all of his gear that he's like, I've done this, right? He's repeated the pathways. Remember you were talking earlier about Michael Pollan talking about what's, you know, synaptic plasticity mm -hmm. and, and it's like going down the, the fresh snow in the sled and you keep repeating that, you know, event so that those tracks are really strong in the brain. Well, this gentleman clearly had done that as well. And he, he had confidence in himself. So his cortisol levels were probably down, but it's so on that same line when we're talking uh -huh. about repeating yourself and the tracks yep. in chapter eight, you have a great chapter about controlling your emotions, both negative and positive thoughts and rumination and preventing that rumination. Can you talk about that? Because that was the first time I've seen a neuroscience approach to what I would almost consider some form of meditation. It is. Well, you know, most of us don't really reflect on the thoughts that we have you know, and thoughts, some of them come from internally and some of them, you know, we just get from the people that we're around. That's why I also think it's really smart as we get older, we're selective on the people that we keep company with because sometimes, you know, there's the people that make us happy and then there's the people that don't, right? That irritate us and then, you know, <laughs> you get in that thought cycle and you're like, ah, but, it, and I, I write the chapter on thoughts because again, I worked in the field of psychiatry 
And what, what is, what do we tell people of anxiety or depression? You know, anxious people are fearing the future. Depressed people tend to be thinking about the past. Well put. Ruminate, ruminating thoughts. Um, people who have ruminating thoughts, sometimes those are the ones who have the OCD, right? There, there's, there's a neurobiological wiring in certain people's brains where they can't get off the feedback loop. And what I've learned, this is why I talk about meditation. If you are one of those people, um, well, there's many ways to help address thoughts. I mean, you can talk to a therapist and sort of talk through them. You know, you can take them out of your head and write them on paper. That's why journaling works for some people. Or the meditation process, the whole goal of meditation is to, it's, it's like observing a thought. It's, you're supposed to just let the thought come through and leave, come through and leave, not hold on to it. Um, and we've got techniques like EMDR. There are different therapies that we can do to work with people to help them resolve a trauma or get through a negative thought. Because if you're a firefighter and you know, you've know you lost a comrade or you've, you've watched somebody die, I mean, that's a traumatic experience. Your amygdala is going to get, it's going to, it's going to grow. Your cortisol levels are going to be up and you might have a form of PTSD and you may relive that memory. Um, It's why sleep is so important because sleep is one of the times our brain can actually work through those emotions. Mm -hmm. We actually, it does it while we're sleeping. So we're able to then get up in the morning and be able to sort of process it. So Thoughts are really, you know, they happen. You get 50 to 70,000 of them and they're just happening second by second by second. It's what we hold on to, which thoughts that we're going to hold on to or let go. So meditation is the process of allowing things to just flow and to be in the present moment, not worrying about the future, not worrying about the past, being here. Like I'm here with you two right now. I'm fully present, completely engaged, totally entertained. You two are awesome. And that's what we have to teach people to do is to live more in the now and not fear the future or stay stuck in the past. But I have, um, I have such compassion for people because sometimes there's the neurobiological wiring of the brain keeps people in these certain patterns. For example, you might have in your family, you might have OCD or anxiety disorder. So to tell somebody with an anxiety disorder not to let your thoughts bother you, well, that's that's a wiring that they have. And we may need to do use some supplements like GABA to calm that region down. Mm. We might want to use some neurofeedback to help teach your brain to kind of calm that wiring down. Um, there are certain foods that you can eat, right, that can help release GABA, that can calm that down. You can work with a therapist. So we have all of these modalities to help people redirect their thoughts. But the most important thing, and I think you probably learned that from the chapter, is that our thoughts impact our body, impact our physiology, right? Our thoughts can increase our cortisol levels. Like I could be sitting here talking to you right now and be super nervous. I'm not because you're you, you two are so lovely and it's a lot of fun. But in my mind, I could work myself up and get myself anxious and my the heart rate goes up and my blood pressure goes up, and my cortisol goes up, and then my gut could get all, you know, butterfly. So that's the power of our mind. And I was going to ask you, do you think, because what you're outlining when you talk about somebody who suffers from anxiety or really uh-huh. any type of issue, uh-huh. do you think that we're going to get to a point 
where when someone goes in for an element of depression or anxiety, et cetera, it's going to be more mainstream at some point that we begin to go through their diet history, their exercise history to yeah. make certain. And, and you said to yourself, uh, being present. So when you're with someone, are you putting your phone down? All of these different things before we leap into a prescriptive measure, because it seems as if over the last 40 years, reaching for the pill is has just been the easy, quick fix. And it, and it ultimately, what we're learning over the last four decades is that's that's no way to live. Before you comment, I just want to say yeah. what's happening right now in the medical world is that in an intake evaluation, when you go mm -hmm. to a primary care doctor, they are obligated to to check certain boxes so that they can get yeah. paid. One yeah. of them is this depression questionnaire. And if they score a certain amount, yeah. don't address it. And the addressing is always, or I shouldn't say always, almost often. always or often, um, when they score a certain number, mm -hmm. you, if you're meeting certain metrics, you addressed yep. it. And the way to address it is by giving an SSRI. You ha so Are you obligated why, to do yeah. that? So is it, it's like a DSM-5? It's, it's some of that. This is more yeah. of the primary care thing. So I get uh -huh. to see these when they come to me because yeah. as, as you've already, you know, as you've already pointed out, I, I, the backwards, I, I don't think I ever treat a gut without treating a brain and you Smart. don't treat a brain without treating a gut. So we're in the yeah. same boat. But what Eric is saying is exactly right. So I just, before you commented, I want you to know that the medical industry is sort of encouraging this pharmaceutical you know, approach. I have... Um, compassion and I can sort of put myself in everybody's shoes. You know, I have a unique perspective because I worked in a psychiatric clinic where we do brain imaging on patients. And the reason why is the kind of patients that were coming into our clinic have complex comorbid psychiatric disorders. So they've typically failed three previous psychiatrists. They have on average three to four psychiatric diagnoses or on five to six meds Oof. and they're still struggling. Oh. So we use quantitative EEG and you know functional imaging to see what's going on, how is their brain working and how can we use the most natural approaches first. And we can see based on the way the wiring is, which medications are going to be better. Do they need an SSRI? Do they need an SNRI, right? I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but what yeah. you just said is fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. You said based on the imaging, you can choose what to Correct. use? Holy yeah, you... cow. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> it's That's not how anybody talks. It oh is. my gosh. And, oh, yes. And I realized well, this... you didn't have room in the book to get into that, but that's no. crazy. The yeah, the, the book is about inspiring people to take better care of their brain health and talking about what we did with the football players and how we were able to restore some function in their brain. But this is, yeah, I have compassion because I understand doctors who see patients, you know, there's the standard anxiety medications, there's the standard psychiatric uh, depression, antidepressant medications. And you're basically just trying to figure it out. Like which box am I ticking, right? If you want, an SNRI, you want to give that to somebody who has ADD symptoms and depression, right? Because mm -hmm. you want to stimulate oh. and calm the brain simultaneously. Whereas an SSRI, you want to give if we're just working on calming the brain. Like if somebody who has OCD, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, has too much activity in the anterior cingulate gyrus, which is in the, sort of the 
front part of the brain, the frontal lobes, and it's just working too hard. So we want to calm that down. And an SSRI can do that very well. However, if somebody comes in and they're depressed and they have low perfusion in the frontal lobes, an SSRI could actually decrease perfusion even more, decrease, and that could that's what leads to the suicidal issues. So you have to be really mindful. And that's where the neuroimaging can be so helpful. Um, and again, you know, we think about how do we really help the patient? How can we get their diet, you know, structured in a way to create the neurotransmitters, right? That's, that's going to help, you know, omega-3 fatty acids. I don't care, care whether you have ADD, anxiety, depression, any kind of mood issue, you need to have an omega-3 fatty acid. We're starting to see in the medical literature, in the traditional medical literature, like JAMA published a paper that showed two grams of an omega-3 fatty acid can help people with clinical anxiety. And that's, you know, coming from, you know, a very prestigious medical journal, that's really advanced. So I want to comment on that because right mm -hmm. now the omega-3 fatty acids or fish oil, um, yep. for whatever reason, there's, a, it's this movement that large meta-analysis regarding cardiac health, it does not show that. And so my patients say, I quit taking it because I heard that study that they talked about on Good the Morning one, America. The one study. Said, yeah, the one study. And I'm like, <laughs> look, I don't care about that for your heart. I know it helps your brain. So get back on that. Well, how about, how about just as a blood thinner? I mean, how many people are taking 81 milligrams of a baby aspirin, right, uh, as a prophylactic to help keep their blood thin? Well, omega-3 fatty acids are great. You can do a vegan omega if you do not want to, you know, eat fish, if you're vegetarian or vegan, um, do a vegan EPA, DHA. The thing with fish oils that I found very interesting is we would measure omega-3 fatty acid levels in patients and we found them to be very low. So most people aren't getting enough in their diet. They're just not eating enough um, you know, chia and flax seeds and almonds and walnuts. I mean, I do every day, but it's like, I'm a brain health person. I actually know how great they are. So <laughs> I pretty much eat them every day religiously, plus take my omega-3 fatty acid supplements. Um, but I think cardiologists should like them as blood thinners and, you know, neurologists should support them because they help maintain brain structure. Um, they don't feel right now that they're helping cognitively, but we know it helps literally at the level of the single cell, the cell membrane. It helps um, with the stability of the membrane. It helps with the receptors that sit in the cell membrane. And we know, you know, a lot of the cell membranes in the brain and retina are comprised of DHA and it, it literally grows brain volume. There's published papers on this. And if you don't want to take a supplement because you're not there yet, one serving of baked or broiled fish every week will do the trick. So get your fish in, you know, just put it on your, like I call it my pilot's checklist. Okay, you're gonna get your fish in, you know, each week. Um, it's just really smart to do. What I love, and I was just sitting there thinking, I was like, oh my gosh, my hospital should hire. So I'm part of a large nationwide hospital network that I have privileges. Mm -hmm. I'm not a, I don't work a whole lot in the hospital. Eric's seen it. They yeah. have a physician lounge where they okay. give free food to the doctors. Oh yeah. Oh my. You oh my. It's gross. It's so gross. And it's and 
everything you're talking about. And then when people talk diets, Mm-hmm. They always want to say, oh, this is the fad diet to lose weight. Oh, this is the, yeah. you, you want to go keto here. You want to go vegan here. What you're talking about is a brain health diet that actually does all of that. That's how come your brain health diet was able to help people lose weight. It was, and then that's, that's another thing is you don't have to eat for your brain. You don't have to eat for your gut. You don't have to eat just because you want good nails. If you're eating the right things, everything is, I mean, like we're, everything we're changes. The same thing. Everything, if you eat clean, healthy foods, everything changes. Your gut is happier, your brain is happier, 100%. your waistline is slimmer, you're sleeping better. Yeah. And, it, and that's why it doesn't have to be hard, but I've realized working with thousands of patients right over the past decade and making them do the food journals. Usually I have them do the journal for about 10 weeks, 12 weeks. So if we're stumbling somewhere, I can take a quick look and see where we're, we've gone awry and get them back on track. But you saw the stories I put in the book. My God, people yeah, stay on them for years. Literally, they stay on them for years. I could have somebody come on the podcast with me and they can just rave and go, oh my God, I, I, you know, I got my little food scale. Everybody does it a little differently, but it's funny. You can have many ways to get to the same end point, which is great brain health. So the book is fantastic, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time because your time is extremely. This is valuable. so fun. Well, <laughs> no, I really enjoy speaking for anybody with you listening. Too. The biohack your brain. What I love is you open with the easiest things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get to the point where it's like, look, this is this, and if you don't want to overthink your diet. I'm going to give you a checklist to do. Yeah. And then towards the back, you threw a couple things out. And one of them, while I have you here, yeah. it was like a paragraph. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> Neural visual training. You had a oh, paragraph yeah. on that. What is that? Yeah, that's so cool. It's funny. I learned about that with the professional athletes. And they are starting to do that now where you can go and train Um there's a thing called the DynaVision board. They're, it's not cheap, um, but you can, a lot of the pro athletes do it where they, the board will have things that light up and you have to very quickly, you know, as quickly as you can hit the lights, right? And then they, it's, it's actually really fun. I wanted to buy one for myself just to like work on the information processing speed and efficiency in my brain and the Football players use it because the game moves so quickly oh, yeah. and you have to see yeah. things in your peripheral vision as well as frontal. So not only can they do the board with the little pegs lighting up and you have to, sometimes you do left-handed, sometimes you do right. Um, sometimes they'll put little cognitive games in there, like in between. Wow. So it's it's extraordinary. And of course, you know, pro athletes and athletes are always fi- trying to figure out how do we up level our game just like a lot of pro athletes know that the hyperbaric oxygen chamber is pretty amazing um and they're what's fascinating about hyperbaric oxygen i will tell you because we studied it in our players and have published in it um uh, one of our colleagues got the cover of the journal of neurotrauma we showed what hyperbaric oxygen therapy does to the brain after one session versus after 40, which is sort of what the standard recommendation is for somebody who has a traumatic brain injury. Even one session of hyperbaric oxygen helped increase blood flow. You saw it globally throughout the brain. You saw little increases all around. By the time you've got 40 sessions, I mean, you've really regrown new vasculature throughout the brain. And that 
you know, I looked at that. I thought to myself, wow, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, not hard to do. It's, it's not inexpensive. It can cost 150 to $250 per dive. You typically have to do 40 dives. Um, that's traumatic brain injury is not expensive. one of <laughs> traumatic like, brain injury not is not one of expensive. <laughs> but you know what? Your 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 brain is worth it, right? This because it helps to it, 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 it literally um it's really like epigenetics. So it can up or down regulate up to eight thousand genes, right? Down regulate wow. pro inflammatory genes, um, you know, up regulate. Can we expense? A hyperbaric oxygen chamber and a and a neurovisual training center to the company. Um, maybe we can have that. Maybe maybe we can have Dr. Willemere come down to Dallas and teach our ooh. company how to use that. Yeah, that, I mean, it'd be fun. These things sound. Awesome. I hope none of the investors are, are listening to this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I've just—it's funny. I've just seen too many cool things. Like I, I'm clearly a brain nerd because I love, you know, I love the technologies. I love seeing what we can do to help strengthen our brain, support our brain. It's not hard. And I will tell you with hyperbaric oxygen therapy, it's not one of the, you know, 14 indicated uses for it. Um, you know, you don't have a diabetic foot wound, you know, no carbon monoxide poisoning. I mean, there's really indicated uses for that, but I will tell you the, the evidence is now increasing for its use at both acute and chronic traumatic brain injury, because oh. there's very little downside um, with the exception of cost. And it can cause issues with the eye, like people have glaucoma or cataract. So you have to be careful because you're, it's 100% partial pressure oxygen. Usually about 1.4 atmospheres are greater. You have to do for 60 to 90 minutes. So if you have people, you know, with the eye issues, that's just a lot of pressure and can cause uh, problems there. But for the most part, you know, we've had hundreds of players that have done it. And you're starting to see these things pop up in locker rooms. You know, Golly, the, wow. the sports teams know about it. So when yeah. we talk about higher level or sort of, you know, out of the box therapies that athletes are using, probably like LeBron James, you know, they, they find out about these things and are using them for their, their health. And it's amazing, again, for the brain, anti-inflammatory. Um, it's great for... You know, people have done hyperbarics pre and post surgery. So if you do a session before a surgical procedure, it can help. Um, uh, it can help uh, prevent any infections during surgery. Wow. wow! And then post, you can use it for wound healing. Speed so, healing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So putting it all together, if we can develop some sort of hyperbaric chamber that like drops supplements in you while you're hitting the visual training thing and well, you do eco-microbial transplant at the same no, time? No, so he, here's what you have to do. You do the IV therapy. So you do the IV glutathione before you go in the hyperbaric chamber or the IV vitamin C before you go in the chamber. So we've got you there. Wow. And then when you're in the chamber, you can watch any movie you want. So it's actually quite relaxing. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun. I want to try it also. I do. I'm down. You had Whoa. no idea. And that was just the epilogue. <laughs> I, you know, I, put, I, put, I put those little things in the epilogue. Well, because my publisher's like, we don't want anybody to, do, you know, we want this to be really accessible to people. And it sounds like you've read it. And, and it is awesome. So there yeah. is so many cool things in this. And what you did is a fantastic job of describing it and leaving so many 
um, loose ends that if you want to go deeper, clearly you can go deeper, but you gave a guide to the, to the general person. And it truly is, it fits the title biohacking. So I think that term biohack really resonates with people that just want to get to the point and just do it. And you did a biohack piece. You know why we called it that is if you can change the brain and show through measuring objectively show with neuroimaging that there is a change to me, that's a biohack. I got one little thing that I want to talk about. Yes. Was your little biohack related to the Harvard study that I pulled the article and looked at that regarding eating blueberries on a daily basis. Yes. Is your brain age? Yes. And it's all related to the proanthocyanidins. Well, Eric and I have done multiple podcasts with other PhDs describing how those proanthocyanidins work. And that's kind of our world with that. So we we, we live in that world. We actually have a study out of England where it says that you can eat four bowls of berries or two doses of the type of proanthocyanidins that we have in Altron Teal. So I could go on another hour about that, but that was awesome that you put that in there. So. Well, the Altron Teal, first of all, I have patients that need this. Like I have somebody who, if this works as well as I think it could, would come on your podcast and rave uh, What we're going to do is I'm going to send Eric to your clinic. And when somebody's in that hyperbaric chamber, he's just going <laughs> to take a funnel, like a beer bong, and yeah. just run Altron Teal in it. Yeah, it's, it's, and, uh, it's polyphenol foie gras. <laughs> but well that's what you were saying now let me just ask you what is the first the name of the first thing that you have in it i had never so that, heard of it so this is beautiful so we had yeah. a phd named sylvia molino on it's okay. called quebracho colorado and this yes, is a whole separate it. deal on how i actually figured this out i i did clinical research on um ibs and stuff well the quebracho right. colorado happens to be the largest most stable uh, tannin, which is a uh-huh. large, poly, it's a large proanthocyanin put together. And so by doing that, it really does not become absorbed. And in her research, this will blow your mind. Okay. When it gets to the colon, if you have a uh-huh. proper microbiome, it will break down the cabracho and the chestnut into smaller phenolic compounds that more people are familiar with, like curcumin, Yes. Quercetin. EGCG. EGCG, green tea extract. So everybody thinks it only comes in green tea. The science of this phenolic compound is super complex. And oh, so yeah. we've had this particular compound you're telling me breaks down into all of these Correct. individual Correct. compounds. What? Yeah. So cool. So cool. Like a giant building block. We have a whole podcast on it where she where we she lived in Spain. She came okay. on our podcast and English was her eighth language she speaks she knows a lot of words <laughs> she knows a few words oh my god <laughs> was, her brain it probably was a, looks it was a fantastic spectacular one of the most lovely people and she's super into all the stuff that we're talking about by the yeah. way all these so we've had uh who's the phd from colorado state oh uh that charlene, is uh, uh van buten charlene van buten mm-hmm. that was also doing this so i had this fantastic that that's how come like when i stumbled on i was looking for something about naomi saka found your thing then i found your book and i was just like oh my gosh what i love is when you're this deep into something you have such a passionate why yeah and so yeah so we found so i developed this for ibs and then she's telling me oh no it's way bigger than what you think you actually wow i'm gonna have to listen to her podcast episode and I just, I have, you know, a certain segment of patients that I work with that are still struggling with gut health issues that are doing the green juicing and some of the things. I, I know they're sneaking in their bad foods too. So I was curious. Maybe that's not my protocol about adding the green M&Ms and 
<laughs> yeah, he might be on the green M&M protocol. So I, I, I'm really, you know, I'm all about experiments. I kind of feel like everything I do is a big experiment. And now that I know about this, I am, I've got a couple people that have to take this. And if it, if it changes the gut health, the way you've described, I mean, the bloating. We'll send you the science yeah. and we'll send you samples yeah. and hopefully to help some of your people. And like all things, um, you, if it helps one person, great. If it, you know, if it doesn't, and we're well, just you, trying it, to help all good. It doesn't hurt, right? Polyphenols. Mm -hmm. Like how right. can you go wrong with that? We uh, need more. We need more. <laughs> need that as a, as a, as a. Yeah. Commercial. How you, can you go wrong with You that? just made our paid ad on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's, it's true. No, I speak truth. And I love to see the science behind it. And man, what a pleasure meeting both of you today. What a fun conversation. Thank you so much. First of all, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for getting the book and reading it. So happy you loved it. Aww. Honestly, just kind of incredible going through the book and now talking mm -hmm. to you. What I've I mean, I feel like we've got like 74 episodes more that we need to book because there's just, yeah. there's just so many different things that, that you have. But this book, uh, uh, Gut Check Project Family, check this out, Biohack Your Brain. This is Dr. Kristen Willemior, and she's, I mean, honestly, you're incredible. Thank you so much Aww. for joining us today. I do want two things. Yes. We'll obviously have uh, a link in our show notes, but where should people connect with you and where should they buy the book? Well, thank you. So they can connect with me on my website at drwillemeyer.com, D-R-W-I-L-L-E-U-M-I-E-R. And you can buy the book wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, your local bookstore. I mean, it's everywhere. And you are literally the sweetest person I've ever met because we're an hour and some into this and we've been mispronouncing your name the whole time. Uh, it's Willa Meyer, not Willa Muir. Oh, you know what? I, it, it actually has, it's Volumier in French and Dutch. And so Volumier. some people, yeah, oh, Volumier. I'm so, so if I speak, using that from now on. If I when speak anybody with brings up your name, they're like, oh, did you read Dr. Dr. Willa Muir's or Dr. Willa Muir? I'm like, no, it's, we're friends. It's Volumier. It's yeah. that's, you know, it's funny. Anybody from a foreign country. So it's in the books in German and Russian and Chinese and a couple other languages. So when I speak for, with foreign countries, they say it's sort of the proper pronunciation, but in America, people say Willemeyer. I I'm, I'm good with whatever. Thank you, Dr. Villemieux, for joining us on the podcast. We'd love to have you again. Oh, well, thank you is, so much. This oh, yeah. is really fun. You guys are great. Well, that's awesome. And, and thanks for taking time out of your day to, uh, to hang out with Ken and I. Um, anything else? It's my pleasure. And no. I'd love to send awesome. you an autographed copy of the book. I'll send one for both of you. And thank then you, you can so give much. that to someone. Can you send so mine in, in, in the French version so I can practice? I read in your book, if you learn a new language, yes. it helps neuroplasticity. And okay. I learned in this podcast that you live in a fire station. That's pretty cool. Too. <laughs> I live very close to the firehouse, which is good. Being the daughter of a former firefighter, that's probably a really good oh, thing. Oh, that's right? so true. It's probably comforting. To you. Yeah, it's you like just go to sleep to it. That's what that's so, It is so about your dad comforting. Like, this, this is her home. She loves yes, this. Yes, I love it. I hear, I hear sirens and I smile. I was like, oh, that's my dad. Trust <laughs> oh, me, I, I take that. care of a, a lot of fire fighters that's one of my passion projects so that football, awesome, football awesome. players firefighters people with degenerative diseases and psychiatric issues 
Wow. Well, Dr. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone, this is episode number 59. Check us out, show notes. We've got all the good stuff and uh, we will see y'all on the next trip around. Yay. All right, thanks, thanks everybody guys. for watching. Remember, buy the book, Biohack Your Brain.